This is Chris. Welcome to episode 226 of X-Lapsed. Uh, this is the July finale of Original Recipe X-Lapsed here, and we are going to be talking about a Marvel anthology. And, uh, you know, sometimes I start these programs by saying something along the lines of, hey, real talk. <laughs> and uh, let's do that again here. Real talk. Um, I didn't care for this. I feel like this is an important issue. An issue that, you know, should be a thing, but the execution here uh, leaves me wanting quite a bit. And uh, we'll get into that because we have, uh, I think we have like nine stories to go through today. So we're going to go through the Just the X, ma'am, stories in Marvel Voices Pride, number one. Set in August 2021 cover date, the stories we will be covering are Introduction, Colossus, Good Judy, Early Thor, The Man I Know, The Grey Ladies, You Deserve, Man of His Dreams, and The Walking Wounded from Alpha Flight number 106 back in 1992. It's uh, not the entire issue, but a uh, pivotal scene, and uh, I'm sure you all know the scene that we're talking about. Writers, we got a bunch. Uh, Luciano Vecchio, Mike O'Sullivan, Kieran Gillen, Terry Blass, Anthony Oliveira, J.J. Kirby, Teeny Howard, Vida Ayala, Steve Orlando, and Scott Lobdell. Didn't think we'd ever be talking about Scott Lobdell in a uh, current year book, huh? Art, Luciano Vecchio, Jen Hickman, Paulina Ganucho, Javier Garone, J.J. Kirby, Samantha Dodge, Joanna Estep, Brittany L. Williams, Claudia Aguirre, and Mark Pacella. Inks for Alpha Flight 106, Dan Panosian. Colors, Luciano Vecchio, Brittany Peer, Kendall Good, David Curiel, J.J. Kirby, Claudia Aguirre, and Bob Sharon. Letters, V.C.'s Ariana Marr and uh, Janice Chang for Alpha Flight 106. Edits, Brunstad Rock, Bobby Chase, Chris Cooper, and Sabolski. Cover price. Hmm, okay, well, here's a big problem. With previous Marvel's voices, uh, you know, anthologies, and even like the Women of Marvel one-shot, we're looking at like a 5 or a $6 price tag. This one's 10 bucks, $9.99. That's expensive. Uh, this one went on sale June 23 of 2021. Now, let's get into it here. Introduction by Luciano Vecchio and Mike O'Sullivan. And uh, this is basically like an illustrated story. It's coming to us from the point of view of Prodigy as he runs down the history of LGBT characters in Marvel Comics. And uh, I'm learning something here already. I, I didn't know Hercules was gay. Um, Union Jack, too. I guess you uh, miss a lot when all you do is read the X-Books, right? 
Now, I do gotta say, it's a bit interesting to me that Rawhide Kid is getting a mention here, considering what an absolute crap show that uh, Slap Leather Mini was back when it came out. I I mean, I remember it being highly offensive, like, almost going out of its way to make fun of the fact that Rawhide Kid was gay. Um, I guess the Marvel of today probably realizes that I'm the only idiot who read that 20 years ago, so it's fair game. Um, Anyway, uh, this is well drawn, and provides, you know, the quick and dirty if you need it. Of note, uh, they claim here that before uh, they married, Kyle was Northstar's longtime partner. Which isn't entirely true. He kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, Marvel rushed to the wedding just to beat DC to the punch and to have uh, Astonishing X-Men number 51 held up by someone on The View, you know. Also of note, we do get a panel of Mystique shouting that she wants her wife back, which really got me excited for the Mystique Destiny story in this very issue. And, well, uh, we'll just stack that up in the disappointment pile right away. Uh, The story ends with Speed running in and giving Prodigy a kiss on the cheek. Our next story is Colossus by Kieran Gillen, Jen Hickman, and Brittany Peer. Now, we're back with Prodigy and Speed as they're having a slice of pizza on a New York City street corner. Now, since this is the Pride special, the conversation immediately goes to point out that they're both bisexual. Now, pardon my ignorance, I don't hang around actual humans all that much. Is this really how conversation goes? I don't know. Uh, Tommy says that his sexuality isn't really a big deal to him. He crushes on who he crushes on and doesn't really care about labels, which I think might make him my absolute favorite character in this entire issue. Now, David envies Tommy this, and so then Tommy flips the script to ask Prodigy for his secret origin. David talks about having spent most of his hormonal years at the X-Mansion and how being around so many attractive people, both male and female, could really do a number on a teenage boy. He cites how tough it is to have someone like Emma Frost as a teacher. But then, he got a good look at Colossus. And this made him begin questioning things about himself. He talks about how there's research claiming that there's no such thing as bisexuality, and being a boy of science, he assumed that since he liked girls, that meant he must be straight. I mean, he was even dating Serge at the time. But he just couldn't get Colossus out of his head. Now, it wasn't until he saw how Kitty Pride looked at Colossus, and, yeah, he called her Kitty, so that's not on me. I mean, I know my hesitation to call her Kate has uh, been a running joke on this show, but uh, this is Prodigy doing it, so all hate mail can go to him, I suppose. Um, Now, his powers facilitated him recognizing her look as being the same as how he felt when looking at Colossus, and so he now finally understood Now, David then talks about how there's plenty of mutant representation, but not enough queer rep. Now, I'd like you to keep that in mind, as literally every single story that follows this in this issue features several LGBT X-Men characters. Uh, We close out with a joke about Tommy hitting the gym to be more Colossus-like, and we're out of here. Now, instead of going to the next story, at this point there's a list of, quote, big gay moments in Marvel. So, I guess a sort of kind of info page, I suppose. And, uh, hey, let's talk about the X-Men stuff here. New Mutants number 45, 1986. In it, Kitty gives a speech about representation, which provides parallels between mutant hate and homophobia. Alpha Flight 106 from 1992, which we will be reading a snippet of toward the end of the episode, and uh, this one probably needs no introduction. X-Force 118 from 2001 featured Marvel's first gay kiss on panel, and I believe that was uh, 
Fat and Vivisector? I want to say that's who it was. It's been a very long time since I read that. Uh, next, X Factor Volume 3, number 45 from 2009, is uh, Richter and Shatterstar's first on-panel kiss. Astonishing X-Men Volume 3, number 51 from 2012, is The Wedding of Northstar and Kyle. All-new X-Men, uh, number 40 from uh, 2015. And this is the revelation that Iceman is gay, which is a... Uh, Something that we heard was just something that Bendis snuck in there And uh, didn't have any plans on what to do next Which takes us to Iceman Volume 3, Number 1, 2017 So we get a pair of Iceman ongoing series Which I haven't read yet, but from what people have told me It's basically Bobby telling the reader over and over again that he's gay Now also worth noting, Rawhide Kid Slap Leather is included here and is referred to as groundbreaking, which might be true, but I do remember a lot of people being offended when it came out, and and not for for any sort of bigoted reasons, just by the portrayal of the characters being kind of an over-the-top caricature. It was not well-received. I guess uh, maybe hindsight has changed the perception, or again, maybe I'm the only idiot who actually read it. On to our next story. It's Good Judy by Terry Blass, Paulina Ganucho, and Kendall Good. And we're at the Green Lagoon with uh, two bits of X-Men wallpaper, Anole and Grey Malkin. Though, I do suppose Anole is getting a bit of shine these days as one of the Shadow King's irregulars. Now, Anole complains that it's hard for him to get a date. Pixie wanders over. At least, that's what the caption says. Uh, the art here, it's, it's not great. Uh, anyway, Anole reveals that he's very self-conscious about the way he looks and feels. See, his skin isn't soft and his arm is all bumpy. And he feels as though he's been rejected before for things that he can't control. And this actually really plays into his uh, his characterization over in New Mutants right now, where he is very self-conscious. Then, Dakin Dakin wanders over and asks for a dance. Anole assumes that he's talking about dancing with Pixie, but no, Dakin Dakin is here for him. Anole wonders what this means for Dakin Dakin's relationship with Aurora... And Dakin Dakin tells him to cool his jets Because it's just a dance And also, um, he's curious about how Victor's tongue works Really now? Okay uh, Pixie says she'll cover the bar while Anole dances And uh, Anole says he'll go So long as Grey Malkin can come along and dance too Dakin Dakin's all the more the merrier And so, they dance And that's it Next up, Early Thaw by Anthony Oliveira, Javier Garon, and David Curiel. Now, this is straight out of the Essential X lapsed, and we're hanging out with the Silver Age X-Men. Bobby helps Warren strap his wings down while they talk about hiding who they really are to the world, which... Subtle, right? Um, Later, Bobby watches Warren rise out of the pool as though he were a winged Phoebe Cates, and Warren heads over to Jean to give her a hug, at which time Bobby accidentally freezes the entire contents of the pool. We jump to later yet, as Magneto is about to rain down missiles on the X-Mansion. That is, until he notices little Bobby Drake crying. You serious? Um, okay, Magneto, he approaches and he tells Bobby not to be afraid, and he assures him that he has no wish to harm children. Uh, what? (laughs) Um, has our writer ever read an X-Men comic? Especially a Silver Age one? I mean, Magneto's whole thing is harming the X-Men. That, and trying to figure out where they live so that he can, you know, harm them. 
Uh, anyway, Bobby and Magneto talk, with the former basically coming out of the closet right here. Magneto gives him a pep talk about how there will be a brave new world more tolerant of those who are different. Bobby apologizes for screwing up Magneto's missile plans, seriously, and also for getting snot on his cape. Magneto tells him, it's okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll destroy the mansion another day. I'll, I'll kill you all later. And then he offers to hang out with him a little bit longer. And Bobby's like, yeah, that's cool. Can I wear Wolverine's toilet? And, uh, well, that's how we end it, with uh, Bobby in Magneto's helmet. I tell you what, it's a good thing there's no such thing as continuity anymore. Because uh, if there were, I'd probably hate this story. <clears throat> um, next, The Man I Know by J.J. Kirby. First things first, uh, the art here is bordering on grotesque. Um, the muscles here are drawn, like, all wet and veiny. It's like... It's almost like we're reading, like, a hentai or something. It's, like, really... I don't know, wet. <laughs> it's very off-putting. Uh, Northstar is in this story, and he literally looks like a segmented insect. Like a shiny and wet segmented insect. Now, this story is very short, and it comes to us from Kyle's point of view. And he basically spends three pages telling us that uh, the John Paul that he knows is far different than the John Paul that the rest of the world knows. I.e., he's really not an asshole. And that's it. Next up, The Grey Ladies by Teeny Howard, Samantha Dodge, and Brittany Peter. It's around the year 1900, and we're on a train outside London. Here, a man named Professor James something or another is playing chess with Irene Adler, Destiny. Now, James mentions that Irene has been seen cavorting around with a known criminal in Raven Darkholm. He then produces photographic evidence that she and Raven have a more than friendly or professional relationship. It's a photo of them kissing. Now, James promises to keep this a secret for a price. One, he would like to capture and study Mystique, considering she has these powers. And two, he wants to marry Irene. Well, it turns out that the Irene we're looking at here was actually Mystique. Wow, who saw that coming? Uh, she leaps across the table and breaks James's neck. She then heads to another car where Destiny waits for her, and they kiss. And that's it. So, wow, the... Uh, story I was looking forward to most in this issue was, uh, was quite the letdown. I mean, it's not like there ain't like a great big Destiny Mystique story we'd like to read right now, right? There's certainly nothing going on in the background that we might want a little bit of background information on. No, let's just do a, uh, a period piece. Total missed opportunity here, in, in my opinion. Next story is You Deserve by Vida Ayala, Joanna Estep, Brittany L. Williams, and Brittany Peer. We open at, oh geez, the Hellfire Gala. I thought we were done with this. Anyway, Karma is there in her carnation abomination, lamenting the fact that she's not currently dancing with Galora. Now, Galora is a character she's been crushing on forever, despite the fact that this is the very first time we ever see her. Now, she's got wings, which is basically all the characterization she's going to get here. Now, Magic stumbles over and asks what's up Karma's butt. And so she admits that she's got the hot pants for this Galora, but doesn't know how to go about telling her. Or even if she should. Magic's reply is pretty simple. It's all, uh, well, you do it or I'll do it for you. And so Karma's got to do the thing. 
She heads over, and before she can even ask Galora for a dance, Galora is all over her. And they make out and dance. And that's it. Next up, Man of His Dreams by Steve Orlando, Claudia Aguirre, and Luciano Vecchio. And I think this might be the big story of the issue. Uh, it's definitely the one that's been on the X-Lapsed radar because it features a uh, first appearance. Though, I mean, can this one be anywhere as big as Galora? Eh, probably not, right? Anyway, we open at the hatchery, where Dakin Dakin is waiting for someone to pop out of their gold ball. He's joined by Aurora, who does the whole penny-for-your-thoughts thing, only in that awkward, no-human-ever-talks-like-this-Steve-Orlando fashion. Dakin Dakin talks about a man named Carl Valentino, who he'd met many, many years ago. Now, Carl was also a mutant, and he had a very unique power. Now, you see, one night with Carl could feel like a lifetime. You can literally live an entire life with him in his dreams. He's an... Let me see if I can pronounce this here. Oni-romancer? Oni-romancer? It's something along those lines here. Uh, Now, this is back in 1967, so Dakin Dakin's got that whole older-than-he-looks thing, just like his father Wolverine. And I must apologize because I'm mostly ignorant to Dakin Dakin's story here. Anyway, Dakin Dakin wasn't ready for really any sort of commitment, so he left. It was a one-night stand. And so he and Carl both lived their lives separately. Now, Carl never came out, and uh, he grew to old age. He died surrounded by friends and family, those closest to him. Uh, Dakin, Dakin, of course, he's, uh, you know, he's still youthful. And earlier today, Dakin, Dakin would attend Carl's funeral from afar. He would stay, you know, off to the side there. Just then, pop goes the gold ball, and Carl Valentino is reborn. Now, He's confused for about a half a second, but is then completely cool with the idea that he's just alive and young again, because this is Steve Orlando. Now, for more Orlandoism here, uh, Carl doesn't automatically decide to, you know, go be with his friends and family who loved him and surrounded him for all the years of his life. Because, now, why would anyone ever think to do that? Instead, he's going to stay on Krakoa to hang with the fella he had a one-night stand with a half-century ago. And also, the third thing out of Carl's mouth is that he's going to need a new name, because this is how humans talk, right? And so, we wrap up this story at the Green Lagoon, where Carl is wearing a costume designed by, of course, Jumbo Carnation. It looks kind of like Nightmask from the New Universe, but it's not. He then decides that he's going to call himself Somnus, and uh, the blurb promises that we'll be seeing more of him on Krakoa next year, which kind of sounds like a threat. So I guess uh, he wasn't the kid that Danny Moonstar met during the Indigenous Voices uh, issue then. Uh, this is a brand new character, and it is his first appearance right here. Now, our final story is a snippet from The Walking Wounded. This is, of course, Alpha Flight 106, March 1992, cover date. By Scott Lobdell, Mark Pasella, Dan Panosian, Bob Sharon, and Janice Chang. And, I mean, if you know this one, you know it. This was a pretty big deal. Now, we start with Major Maple Leaf. Yes, Major Maple Leaf. He's uh, watching television. He's watching the news uh, where it's reported that uh, North Star's adopted daughter, Joanne Boubier, has AIDS. Now, John Paul adopted the tot after a homeless woman, believed to be the girl's mother, passed away 
probably from AIDS. Now, this outrages Major Maple Leaf, uh, not for reasons you might be uh, thinking, but uh, the Major hurls his remote control through the TV set. We shift scenes over to the hospital where Puck and Northstar are about to leave baby Joanne's room. We can see that there's a Sasquatch plushie that's been left there by, well, Sasquatch. <laughs> it's uh, hanging from her ivy. Then, Major Maple Leaf attacks. He's here for North Star, and he's provoking him by assuring him that his newly adopted baby will be dead soon, just like someone who was very close to him. North Star spears Maple Leaf out of the hospital, and they fly to the top of a nearby building to duke it out. Here, we learn that the Major's son, Michael, also died of AIDS. But Michael was gay, and so nobody cared that he died. Whereas innocent baby Boubier is getting nightly news updates on her status. Michael Maple Leaf had no such luxury and just died. Maple Leaf then lectures North Star on homosexuality, which prompts JP to finally reveal that he is gay. And I swear, I remember this panel being a lot more passionate. Like him screaming it, you know, screaming that he's gay with like a strained look on his face, kind of like the cover of Alpha Flight 106. I, it's probably just some mental conflation here where I <laughs> conflate the two. But no, this is a uh, regular old uh, Liefeld light panel of him awkwardly leaping toward the reader. And he does so, smashing into Major Maple Leaf. Now, the Major is actually quite annoyed by this reveal. He claims that had North Star come out of the closet earlier, maybe he could have been a spokesperson for gay rights. Now, he suggests that by not revealing this to the public, he's just as responsible for Michael Maple Leaf's death as AIDS was. North Star breaks out of the Major's grip, punches him a bunch, and then hugs him. And we are out of here. The uh, snippet ends with, well, a snippet from an in-comic Daily Mail newspaper where North Star publicly comes out. And that, my friends, is where we end this. Next episode, the August X-Lapse season kicks off with Children of the Atom number five. But now let's, uh, let's talk about this special. Um... You know, I was very nervous to cover this one for a few reasons. Um, largely because, uh, I mean, this is the internet, right? And the internet is about sensationalism. There's no middle of the road here. It's uh, all or nothing. Everything's hyperbolic. So that's why I started the episode by saying I didn't care for the issue. I wanted that out there plain, you know, before we even got into the stories here. Because you gotta... You gotta take special effort here to separate the message from the delivery, right? As far as a message is concerned and what this book is trying to do, I'm all about it. Every time we talk about a Marvel's voices or a women of Marvel, I always I always make sure to express my feelings on things like diversity in creators and diversity in characters here. I, you know, I subscribe to the school of the more, the merrier. You know, just like Dakin Dakin said, right? I think it's important, and actually not just important, but vital, that we have as many voices as possible in this industry, both on the page and behind the uh, the typewriters, right? And behind the artboards. I think we need more, right? It feels like every single day, every single week, every single month, this industry just gets smaller, to the point where it's just it's just going to fold in on itself. So we need as many voices who are interested in talking about this stuff, that are passionate about talking about these characters and keeping 
keeping these shared universes limping along because I'm not confident that we're going to have these things for all that much longer, as much as it pains me to say that. So, I mean, I don't want to confuse the message with the delivery here. Despite the fact that I'm not a Steve Orlando fan, I've read plenty of Steve Orlando over in DC, didn't care for it. That isn't to say I want him out of comics. I save those kind of feelings for folks like, uh, like Tom King. <laughs> he can go to Hollywood and stay there. So I just don't want to get it twisted here that I am against this sort of a project, because I'm not. I'm a fan, a proponent, and possibly the lone non-hyperbolic voice in the discussion of this sort of special. I'm not going to automatically give it a 10 out of 10. I'm not automatically going to give it a 0 out of 10. This was, simply put, underwhelming. Um, We've been talking a lot of late in the mailbag about opportunity, right? Every issue is an opportunity. And sometimes sometimes you knock it out of the park, sometimes you strike out. Now, this issue was kind of like getting hit by the pitch and taking a base. Like, it's good that it exists, it's helpful to the purpose that it's trying to serve, but it could have been better. It could have been more. Oftentimes, when we cover an anthology, I will make the comparison to X-Men Unlimited. This one feels more like something we can compare to the Women of Marvel special, where it felt very, very superficial. And again, I am an outsider looking in, so all I can talk about is how I personally received this. And all I see are missed opportunities. And it's unfortunate because a special like this that gets the kind of press that a special like this is going to get, it inspires curiosity. And people who may not buy comics at all may pick this issue up just out of curiosity. And I feel it underdelivered. Um, also, I mean, let's talk about the cover price. $10 is a big commitment, a big buy-in. And, uh, I mean, 10 bucks not likely to be an impulse purchase. You know, if you're, if you're already in the comic shop and you're spending, boy, 30, 40 bucks on your regular weekly pull, and you see this book and you're like, ah, maybe I'll give it a shot. Then you flip it over and see it's $9.99. I'm not so sure you're going to grab it. Because, and I am projecting here 100%, I would have to assume that the target audience for this book might be mostly comprised of uh, young people who might be struggling. They might be confused or conflicted and just not know how to deal with how they're feeling. And under that lens, Marvel Voices Pride is perfect, right? I think that I think that a young person can get a lot out of this book if only it wasn't $10. I mean, I tried looking into the uh, inflated price here to see if Marvel was was contributing any of the profits to an organization or an interest group, and I can't find anything on it. So I really can't explain the price on this, uh, unless maybe the DC Pride special was also ten dollars. I really, I really don't know. I just figure that the the people who can get the most out of this might just be priced out. And that's unfortunate. And, you know, I checked Comixology to see if the maybe the digital version was cheaper, right? Maybe it was more accessible. No. <laughs> no, the digital version is $9.99. And as I work my way down the digital rabbit hole here in real time as I record this, the reviews are very, very hyperbolic. We either have 10 out of 10 scores and uh, 1 out of 10 scores here. It's, uh, it's really unfortunate. 
because those scores don't help anybody. You know, and this is just me being a twit who <laughs> really gets uh, bugged by hyperbolic scores, which has nothing to do with this issue in and of itself. But a ten, uh, you give something a 10 out of 10 and don't qualify it with any explanation, you ain't helping nobody. You give a 1 out of 10 and you don't qualify it, you ain't helping nobody. It's the very few of us in the middle here who will give this a 7 out of 10. And to be able to qualify why we're giving it such a score, we get buried because uh, we're not provocateurs. And we're not going to sensationalize things and we're not, uh, we're not doing this for the clicks. But at the risk of repeating myself over and over and over again, or to avoid doing so, a few words about each story we covered here. Um, the introduction was fine. A recitation of uh, pivotal events. No worries there. Colossus was also pretty good. I like the characters of uh, Speed and Prodigy, although the dialogue here was very, very stilted. Good Judy, the Anole story was... Eh, the, the art was very, very bizarre, and... Uh, it felt very YA, you know, um, nothing wrong with that, you know, in and of itself here. But as mentioned, I mean, this is, this is an expensive book, and you might just be pricing out your, uh, you know, your intended readership. Uh, early Thor, the Iceman and Magneto story, I did not care for it. Um, and this is just me being a pedantic, fake-ass comics historian here that just can't fit this one into... Any 616 uh, timeline here, which I can appreciate is like the dorkiest thing in the world to worry about, but just can't fit it in here. Magneto not wanting to kill the X-Men, <laughs> it's especially back in the Silver Age. I don't know. Uh, the Man I Know, the North Star and Kyle story, was fine. I, I The art was, as mentioned, bordering on grotesque. <laughs> the, the, the They looked like insects. It was just... Not great here. Um, as far as the story is concerned, it, it was fine. Uh, Kyle seeing a different side of North Star, I mean, that stands to reason, doesn't it? North Star does project a uh, an assholishness to the outside world, which isn't how he truly is when you you know really get to know him. The Gray Ladies, the Mystique and Destiny story, and I have a bias here because I was hoping for something else. I was hoping that this was going to be. Something that may be included in an upcoming Inferno trade paperback collection, right? Where it's like, ooh, this is this is a seminal bit of the the behind the scenes Krakoa burn it down story. And uh, no, it was a period piece that could have been in any number of issues of X Men Unlimited. You deserve the uh, Karma and Galora story had potential with Karma kind of psyching herself up to go ask uh, Galora to dance, but uh, it just, I, I mean. I can't really hold it against the creators here since you only get X amount of pages, right, to do to do a story in an anthology. So we don't really get much. So we get Karma struggling with, uh, you know, worrying whether she's going to be turned down or not to them making out on a dance floor in the matter of, like, three panels. So there was that. Uh, Man of His Dreams here, the introduction of Somnus. I'm always happy to see a new mutant, so I'm... Looking forward to more of him. I, I did have my fun during the uh, <laughs> during the synopsis saying, ah, it sounds like a threat to me, but no, I mean, he's got a cool design here. I, I'm wondering if there is any link to the Nightmask character from the new universe here, because, I mean, the costume is very, very Nightmask-esque. But I'm always about, you know, bolstering the party here. If I'm playing like a, like a role-playing game, I always want more people in the party. So 
if we can get more characters into the spotlight here, I'm cool with that. I do feel like the story was a bit Orlando-esque in that it was uh, very convenient and uh, it was awkward, you know, awkward dialogue and stuff like that. But uh, I've already talked about that quite a bit. If Orlando does come back to revisit Somnus uh, in 2022, we'll uh, we'll talk more about him then. Finally, the snippet from Alpha Flight 106, which this is the first time I've read that in many, many years. So it's interesting reading it now because I keep remembering, because this was a schoolyard book, right? Uh, kids on the schoolyard would talk about this one, and it became a game of telephone here where it's like, okay, well, North Star's gay, North Star has AIDS, North Star's dying of a disease... And you can see how that got conflated here since the story does have to do with AIDS and it does have to do with a gay character passing of AIDS in Major Maple Leaf's son here. So it really speaks to the reading comprehension of folks back in 1992, at least the ones on the schoolyard here. Because in the opening page of that snippet, it's, uh, you know, North Star on the news with the word AIDS next to him. So it's easy to not read the story, look at that and be like, oh, okay, well, there you go. And I believe, you know, as awkward a story as that was, um, it does belong here as a, a very, very important and seminal moment in uh, comic book history. So overall, like I said, a little underwhelming, kind of a mixed bag. Way, way, way overpriced. I feel like Marvel could have made a statement here by offering this at a lower price. Also, I mean, they could have offered this digitally for free. If you wanted the, if you wanted the print edition, sure, you'd pay for it because it is, you know, paper. <laughs> it is overhead. But make these stories available for free online. Remember, the goal of these Voices projects is to broaden the readership, broaden everything about comics here. So let's make it as accessible as possible here. Don't price it at $10. Let's get this thing into as many eyes and minds as possible, right? Make this a regular thing. Release a story a week or a story every two weeks. Just make it accessible. Because a $10 price tag, it kind of undermines the project, at least in my opinion. It just uh, reeks of, uh, of greed. It reeks of publicity or PR stunt. It just um, it misses the mark for me. And finally, just like I complained when we read Women of Marvel here, if Marvel was truly committed to this, they would be giving these talented creators more than just a, you know, two or three pages in an anthology to really show their stuff here. Maybe you put one of these creators on an A-list book. Now, oh, well, what are you going to do, right? Uh, I think that's all I have to say about this issue here. I do apologize for my awkwardness throughout this conversation because uh, it's very easy to confuse things like a message with the delivery here. And uh, one last time, I am a proponent of the message. Just felt the delivery fell short. But uh, that's all I got to say about that. Let's head into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien talking about Cable number 9. Now, Damien says, Not a bad story, but for some reason it just doesn't grab me. Ultimately, your reaction to the implications of the discussion of resurrection is far more interesting to me than anything within the book. I always enjoy Cable when I get around to it on Marvel Unlimited, but it doesn't live on in my brain in the way that Marauders or Way of X or Hellions does. I'm probably being unfair. And I'm, I'm right there with you here. Cable is a good book. I like it a lot, but... Uh, it's certainly not in, you know, Way of X, Hellions, or Marauders, Rarified Air, and it is quite good. It, uh, you know, it also doesn't really live on in my brain <laughs> the way those other books do either. There is some interesting stuff here, of course, especially, as you mentioned here, the discussion of uh, clones and dupes and all that stuff, and 
I mean, if you've made it to this episode, you'll know we just discussed Cable number 11, where, uh, well, we get us a dupe in Old Man Cable making his return. So definitely interested in seeing where this goes, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts when you get to uh, Old Man Cable popping out of his gold ball in uh, just a couple of issues. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Uh, next up, Meal giving us an X-Factor overview. Now, I tell you what, I love messages like this, where we just take a look at a title, we do like a, a state of the state of the union address on a book here, and with X Factor being over with, it's a it's a perfect first choice, right? That we can actually talk about this one in some. So Neil says, because I like to torture myself, over the next couple of emails, I'm going to be writing my reviews and overview for all of the X line. So let's start with X Factor. X Factor was great. This was my first experience ever with the Mojo verse, and I enjoyed it. The team is really fun, with my favorite being Prodigy, and my least favorite character being Aurora, who I still really enjoyed. Now there's something I hadn't considered, in that uh, this might be someone's first experience with the Mojoverse, and as, you know, seasoned X-Fans who have been to the Mojoverse many, many times before, I definitely wonder how someone who is new to the Mojoverse would receive this, in comparison to, uh, to jaded folks like myself. Because when I see Mojoverse, I... Instinctively, kind of go like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's not quite up there with the uh, other world, but it is a concept that like makes me instinctively look at my watch, like wondering, like, okay, how much longer are we gonna be dealing with this before we can get to a story that I'm going to like? So uh, maybe it's unfair of me to uh, to bring my bias into it, <laughs> just be against Mojo World when someone who is only experiencing them for the first time might really, really dig it, especially this new take on it, which isn't entirely new. It's just Brought into the you know 21st century, I suppose. Meal continues. My least favorite issue was probably the first issue, as I just found it a bit slow, however enjoyable. My favorite issue was number seven. I don't think I need to tell you how much I love Leia Williams' speed, so I'll cut that short. Despite the fact that this was the issue of X-Factor that got me into the series, I wasn't completely lost, which is major props to the writing because the Morrigan is not the most straightforward thing. And yes, it's uh, it's time for uh, X-Lapsed Bingo, so get your cards out here, because I'm about to say that X-Factor was the most Claremontian book of this line. Uh, if you can all check that box off the bingo card there. Uh, yes, introducing a concept, or reintroducing a concept like the Morrigan, which is steeped in... You know, X-Factor lore from almost a decade ago in a story that kind of came and went. And to be able to present that in a current year book in a way that isn't confusing and also doesn't beat us over the head, very Claremontian and uh, very, very well done. As, uh, as Meal puts it here, it's not the most straightforward thing, but the way it was presented here didn't make us feel like we were lost in the dark, right? So definite props to, uh, to Leah Williams, David Baldion here for... Being able to do this uh, and do it so well. Meal continues. And even though the book ended on kind of a messy end, I think that overall X Factor 2020 to 2021 was a net positive, And it made me really excited for the trial of Magneto. I trust Leia and I can't wait for the next stuff she'll make. And yeah, you know, um, I wasn't sure. As, I, as you mentioned here, your, the first issue of X Factor was your least favorite. For me, it was issue two. That was my least favorite here. Issue one, I kind of... I was uneasy. Uh, I didn't hate it, but I also did not like it very much either. When we got to issue two, I was just like, whoa, this is going to be really, really tough here. But after that, it won me over here, and a lot of that had to do with uh, with Leia Williams and uh, 
even my coming around to uh, David Baldion's art. I, too, trust Leia here. Um, I'm not sure if you've read Gwenpool Strikes Back, but that was another uh, Williams and Baldion story, which we covered here, boy, uh, way back. Uh, I think it was right after we finished the X of Tens discussion, so give or take a hundred episodes ago. If you haven't read uh, Gwenpool Strikes Back, definitely do so. It is a... It's comedy, but it's also very touching. It has, you know, we talk about, you know, the nebulous heart in a comic book story, and that one that one just has it in spades. It's a wonderful, wonderful story here, and I think it, it, the timing in which I read Gwenpool Strikes Back was around the time that I was coming around on X-Factor, and the one-two punch of X-Factor and Gwenpool just totally kicked me square in the butt and made me a true fan of uh, Williams and Balion. Just wonderful stuff and uh, gets a huge X-lapsed recommendation, which um, for that and uh, that and $4, you can buy one of the issues, I think. So uh, meal wraps up with, so until Gambit escapes hell, I mean Excalibur, <laughs> be mine X-lapsed. And I do wonder if uh, if he's going to be in Excalibur for much longer, since we do have the rumor, there is that rumor, that Chris Claremont is going to be uh, doing a Gambit series. Not sure if it's an ongoing, not sure if it's a mini. I mean, of course it's going to be a mini. Everything's a mini these days. But uh, I don't know if it's going to take him out of Excalibur or not, So even if it's a thing that exists at all. So we'll uh, sit back, wait, and see. But uh, thank you so much for writing in. I love, like I said, I love messages like this where we just take an entire series and just give it a sort of state of the union, take it apart, put it back together, talk about what we like, what we dislike. I, I love messages like this. So if anybody wants to do more messages like this, hint, hint, I would love to hear them and to share them. We do have a little bit of news, uh, sort of kind of news here. Uh, our friend Evan shared a link with me about the Comic-Con at Home panel for the X-Men, where it was suggested that there might be a Hellfire Gala every year. Um, please no. I mean, unless it's like a one-off issue of Marauders or something that they jam it into. I, we don't need... Uh, Lord only knows what 2022, the summer 2022, this, the X-Men line could be up to 48 books. Fingers crossed that uh, maybe the creators were just uh, trolling us. I don't want another Hellfire Gala. But thank you all the same for passing that along, Evan. You you guys know that I'm not great at following news because I'm always afraid I'm going to be spoiled. <laughs> and uh, so I, I depend on you all to, uh, to keep me in the loop. So thank you so much, Evan. Now, since today is the July finale of X-Lapsed here, uh, let's take a look at some sales charts. We're going to be looking at the sales for April of 2021 from Comicron. And of course, I got to preface with the fact that we do not have shipped numbers here. All we have is rankings. Now, to put you into the April 2021 gestalt, let's take a look at the top five books for that month. We start with number one is Berserker, number two from Boom. Two is King in Black, number five from Marvel. Three is Geiga, number one from Image. That's the uh, the Jeff Johns bit. Four, Batman, number 107 from DC. And fifth is Venom, number 34 from Marvel. Now into the books that matter. Now it's a very good sign here. The top X book of the month was Way of X, number one. It was the 12th highest selling book of the month. That's pretty awesome. 
Uh, the 18th best-selling book is Wolverine number 11, which drops down three spots from number 15. The 38th best-selling book is X-Force number 19, which also drops down three spots from number 35. The 40th best-selling book is Women of Marvel number 1. <laughs> okay. Uh, the 42nd highest-selling book was Marauders number 19. Uh, there was no issue of Marauders in March to compare that to. 44 was X-Men Legends number 3, which drops down four spots from number 40. So we're not having big, huge drops here. It might just be uh, the fact that we have Geiger in the list now. The 46th highest-selling book is Children of the Atom number 2, which drops down 24 spots from spot number 22. No surprise here. Second issue slump. Not a big deal. Book 52 is Excalibur number 20, which is up 23 spots from number 75, so... uh, Well, there's no accounting for taste Um, Number 58 is Sword Number 5 Which went up three spots from number 61 Over in 61 is New Mutants Number 17 There was no issue with that in March to compare that to Book number 84, Cable Number 10 This one went up five spots from number 89 That's uh, kind of interesting, right? Uh, We're careening toward cancellation And it's going up a few spots Again, I mean, it could have sold less, for all we know. We don't have shipping or sold numbers here. Now, from here, that's all the X books, but there was another book that we covered for this month's worth of books here, and we gotta scroll all the way down to the 170th best-selling issue of the month to see Power Pack number 5. Even though it's 170, it did drop 15 spots. From last month where it was uh, 155 So uh, not great (laughs) Not great at all And uh, I can confirm that uh, the episode we did on that issue Because it did feature Wolverine Was the nadir of X-Labs here The uh, least engaged with, the least listened to It was just uh, kind of a disaster And if I had to do it all over again uh, Well, I would because I'm an idiot But uh Those, my friends, are the numbers, or I suppose as close as we're going to get to the numbers anytime soon, for the month of April 2021. And that is where we will leave it, not only for this episode, but for the month. If you'd like to get a hold of me in the interim, you can find me several different places. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, you can give a call to the X-Last voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK, or you can shoot me an old-fashioned email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also join us on Facebook. The little group is 90s X-Men. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available all over the place. Wherever you, Whatever you use to listen to things is where you'll find us, and uh, I probably don't have to tell you that since you're currently listening to it. Anyway, with that, we close out July. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for being with me this month. And for those who enjoy the Essential X-Laps, we'll talk again soon. If not, uh, well, you get a couple weeks off from me, and boy, do I envy you that. But in all seriousness, thank you all so, so much for allowing me to be part of your day today. Uh, Even though this was an awkwarder than normal episode, uh, I thank you all just the same. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.